Matthew chapter 5, we're going to be starting off in verse 33. And what we have been seeing here, Jesus has been going through, explaining now, in the Sermon on the Mount, as Jesus is teaching, got his disciples together here, he's been explaining what the law says. But more so, he's been breaking it down to talk about what the law essentially means. You see, there were many that were teaching that to obey the law was just a matter of doing the right things. You want to pull the law? Well, then just observe it, do it, live it out, basically. If you want to be innocent of the sixth commandment, thou shalt not murder, then just don't kill somebody. Seems pretty simple, right? Seems like, okay, I can handle that. But you see, a lot of people were beginning to go, okay, this is what I got to do to be right and righteous in living out the law. But what Jesus is breaking down for us is that the heart of the law really is about a matter of the heart. That more than just kind of observing it from an outward perspective, it goes beyond that to look at even inward attitudes, right? Looking at kind of your own attitude, the heart issue of these things. And so with six illustrations now from Matthew 5, verse 21, all the way to the end of the chapter in verse 48 here, Jesus references a portion of the law. He gives these six illustrations referencing a portion of the law, but then reveals that these laws are broken down even through our, or, or broken, the laws are broken just even through our own attitudes. In other words, it's not just a matter of action that we're declared guilty before God, but it's a matter of inward thoughts and attitudes by which we can be guilty of breaking the law and guilty before God. J.M. Boyce said this, it, it, true Christian morality must arise from the heart. And as a result of this, no one but God who controls the heart can provide it. And this is where Jesus is taking us, where he wants to point these things out, is that we can't in and of ourselves be those that just say, here's the law, I'm going to live it and thus be right with God. It's a heart issue. It's a heart issue that only God can do in us and through us. That our righteousness doesn't come from us, but it comes from Jesus. So each of these six illustrations, it, it begins with Jesus saying, you have heard that it was said. All right. So you break it down each of these six illustrations where Jesus says, you have heard that it was said, starting from verse 21 to the end of the chapter. But then Jesus will point back, not just to what the law said, but then he says, but I say to you. So go, here's what the law says. You've been upholding the law, but now here's what I say to you. Pete covered those, la- those first three last week. He did a great job with that, Pete. We looked at those first three illustrations of what the law said, but then what Jesus says, we're going to look at the next three, the last three here, as we look at this. And here's kind of how we're going to break down the rest of the chapter. We're going to look at sincerity, surrender, and selflessness here. These are the things that we're going to be looking at. And, and discussing here today as we finish up chapter 5. And so he says here in verse 33, so we look at this sincerity here. He says in verse 33, Again, you have heard that it was said to those of old, You shall not swear falsely, but shall perform your oaths to the Lord. But I say to you, do not swear at all, neither by heaven, for it is God's throne, 
nor by the earth, for it is his footstool, nor by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. Verse 36, nor shall you swear by your head, because you cannot make one hair white or black. But let your yes be yes and your no, no, for whatever is more than these is from the evil one. So Jesus now again, he reflects back on what the law has said. You know what it says. He, he, he's telling and speaking to the people, no doubt, not only to his disciples, but many of the crowds that were gathering around. And he points it back to Leviticus chapter 19, verse 12, where it said, And you shall not swear by my name falsely, nor shall you profane the name of your God. I am the Lord. So when Jesus says, you shall not swear by, again, you know, we think of the word swearing and we come up with a whole lot of other ideas of what swearing is. In this day, Jesus is simply saying, this is about taking a, a vow, an oath, and taking a vow in the name of the Lord to basically say, this is something that I'm going to be sure to uphold because now I'm swearing by the name of the Lord. So the Pharisees said, okay, we can do that. We won't swear falsely by the Lord's name, by simply just not swearing by the Lord's name. So they heard that, they go, okay, don't swear by the Lord's name falsely. They said, okay, well, here's what we'll do. We just won't swear by the name of the Lord at all. Then we will never be guilty of breaking that law. But what we will do is we'll swear by other things. And so Jesus lists some of them, right? He says, we'll swear by this or by that, and that way we won't be guilty of breaking this law. It's interesting that at a young age, we learn that we need to add something to what we're saying to really give it its weight, to really identify that we're speaking the truth here, right? At least when I was young. What did we say when we were younger? Cross my heart, hope to die, stick a needle in my eye, right? What kind of twisted, morbid generation was raising us? And I'm like, if we ever tried to hold to that, I'd be walking around with two pincushions on my face with needles all over the place. So I'd be breaking these things, right? But what we understood is that we need to show somebody that what we're saying, I really mean, because if I don't say that, it means like I'm saying something, but ah, it might happen, it might not. I'm not really a person on my word. But when I say cross my heart, did I? I'm speaking the truth here. We understand that we've got to add something to really get people to buy into what we're saying, Right? And so this is what these Pharisees were doing. They're starting to apply all these other means to say, what I'm saying to you, man, I mean it. It's going to happen, right? This is what they were trying to do. So the Pharisees said, okay, we'll swear by heaven or we'll swear by the earth or by Jerusalem. We'll do anything except in the name of the Lord. That way we'll never be guilty of breaking the law. Again, like when we were kids, right? And, and someone would say, okay, I'll do this if you do that. I'll, I'll eat this worm if you eat the worm too, right? And then you make the deal. You make, okay, we promise to do it. And then all of a sudden they go, aha, my fingers were crossed, right? Every, you know that, right? And you're seeing they're going, oh my goodness, I have to eat this worm and you're now exempt because the whole fingers crossing is like, that, that means that you're not void or you're not, you're not bound to this any longer, Right? And they're like, oh my goodness. So we always came up with ways where you could go, I'm going to make a promise, but maybe this isn't binding. That's what these Pharisees were doing. And then somebody came up with the marvelous idea, right? Every time you, you're now making an agreement with your friends, you're like, show me your hands, get out there. But then somebody came up with the idea, you make an agreement, and all of a sudden they go, oh, my shoelaces are crossed. Doesn't work anymore, I don't have to do it. You're like, oh my goodness, brilliant. 
Why didn't I come up with that, right? And so now you're always, you're making these agreements, but now you're like, for real? Honest? Truth? Like, is this for, you're always skeptical because people always come up with ways to go, I don't have to uphold this agreement that we've just made here. And so this is exactly, again, like what these Pharisees were doing. So Jesus says, listen, you might be fulfilling the commandment to not break this oath made in the name of the Lord because you're not swearing by the name of the Lord, but your hearts are all wrong in this because you're still being deceptive. You're coming up with alternative ways to say, I'm going to make an oath, but it's not really binding, or at least I'm not going to be breaking the law if I don't uphold it. This is what they were doing. Even though these Pharisees were not using the name of the Lord, they were swearing by things that were representing the Lord, as Jesus points out there. Don't even swear, verse 34, don't even swear at all, neither by heaven. Why? Because it's God's throne. Don't swear by the earth because it's, it's his very footstool. It's all of his creation. It's all representing the Lord. Don't swear by Jerusalem because it's his holy city, right? And then he says, don't even swear by your own head because this isn't even yours to begin with either, right? If we would think this is ours then, and we had control of it, well, then we'd all be walking around with thick, lush hair that was naturally colored, right? I mean, that's how, if we had control of that, we'd all be like, I mean, Tim, you got the anointing here, apparently, but this is how we'd be living. But God says, you can't even control that because some of you have white hair, dark hair, no hair. Obviously, you're not in control of these things, right? So don't swear by that because it's all God's. It's all representing the Lord here. And these guys were greatly misrepresenting the Lord by coming along with deceptive practices here. This is what God is getting at here. They might have, people might have looked religious. They might have looked godly outwardly, but inwardly they were deceptive and tricking people, and God was concerned about their heart. So Jesus says, what does he say there in verse 37? Simply let your yes be yes, and your no, no. Stop trying to see how you can get around having to uphold your word. Don't look for the loopholes. Be people of your word, is is what he's saying here. When you say, yes, I'm going to do this, then let that be like gold, that that's what you're going to do. Don't sit there and say, well, I'm sorry, you know, I said, yes, I will do that if, you know, these things line. No, just if you say yes, then do it. Be a person of your word. Why? Jesus says, anything more or beyond that is of the evil one. It's not of God. What is the one thing that God cannot do? Lie. God is the God of his word. He upholds his word even higher than his name, it tells us in Psalm. God is a God that cannot lie. He is a God of truth. Whereas the devil, what is he referred to as in John 8 verse 44? He's referred to as the father of lies. This is the very makeup of Satan. He's a deceiver. He is the father of lies. Everything he does is done in a deceptive way to trick, to fool people. Whereas that should never be the characteristic or the mark of the believer. Who are you most representing? The God of truth or the father of lies? Let us be citizens of the kingdom by how we speak truth 
and keep our word. Now, listen, before moving on, let me say there are people that can read through this and think, oh, my God, I guess I, I should never take a vow any longer or an oath that just seems to be not right. Listen, this is, Jesus is not saying that taking an oath is wrong because Jesus himself was under oath when he was being tried there in Matthew chapter 26. Paul himself oftentimes took oaths in a, in a, in a certain way. Vows are not wrong. I'm thankful for the vows that my wife made to me 25 years ago when we got married, right? And I'm, I'm praying one day she'll keep those vows. But we're really, no, that wasn't right. But vows or oaths are not wrong. Everybody understand? But, but saying things in a way where you think this word now is more meaningful than something else because of that is wrong. Just be people that speak truth. And that upholds your word. All right? Everybody good? You're with me? Thank you, Tony. One of you. Thank you. Okay. You all with me? Tracking? So now we move on to this fifth illustration that Jesus gives. It's our second one today. But again, we're continuing on from what Pete built on last week. So the fifth illustration is in verse 38. We've seen sincerity, first of all. But now we look at surrender. And Jesus says in verse 38, You have heard that it was said, An eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I tell you not to resist an evil person, but whoever slaps you on your right cheek, turn, to, turn the other to him also. If anyone wants to sue you and take away your tunic or your, your shirt, let him have your cloak or your jacket also. And whoever compels you to go one mile, go with him too. Give to him who asks you and from him who wants to borrow from you, do not turn away. So here Jesus now is quoting from Exodus chapter 21, verse 24. And this is a law that people love to live by today, right? An eye for an eye. In fact, some live by the motto, I don't get mad, I get even, right? Those people right there are the ones you don't want to get in their bad books, right? They're like, that's right, man. Okay, I get even. That's the way that we oftentimes live, isn't it? In fact, when I was growing up, and I, I grew up with a, a lot of good friends, we're still friends today, and but we could be pretty ruthless with one another. And it was like, I don't, I don't just get even, I get one up, right? You ever live that way? Where it's like, if you're going to do that to me, well, I'm going to come back extra hard on you to make you realize you better not come at me like that, man, because you're going to pay. That was how I lived my life, right? But I don't live that way anymore. The Lord has convicted me this, this last week. I've kind of really been dealing with these things. And it's actually just yesterday. But anyways, uh, listen, it was, it was today from this word here as I need to be a man of my word and truthful. So anyways, but pray for me. But so these are things that we struggle with a lot of times, right? This idea of if somebody wrongs me, I'm not gonna let them walk all over me. I'm not gonna let them get away with that. I'm gonna make sure that they pay for that. But understand something here. When this law was given, this law, an eye for an eye, was never meant to be an obligation, but rather to be a limitation, It was meant to restrict people from going too far in retribution. So God puts us in place to kind of control these things to say, listen, yeah, God is a God of justice. And there are people that obviously, you know, you reap what you sow. But more so, this was to safeguard people from going, you've done this. Well, now we're going to make you pay this way. And it's going to be exponentially worse. God says, I'm going to put this in place. Listen, an eye for an eye, tooth for tooth. Don't go any more beyond that. Let there be equal kind of justice here and retribution, but you don't need to go beyond that. Now, Jesus comes along 
And though he doesn't deny the legal application of these things, if this was say in a, in a court of law, what he does say is that we don't need to carry these things out now on a personal level. On, in, in a personal way. We don't need to be sitting here now saying to everybody, oh, you've done this to me? Well, now I need this. Jesus comes in, he, he kind of just flips this thing right upside down. He says, listen, you've heard it once said, an eye for an eye, too. but I say to you, man, live differently, turn the other cheek. Lay down your rights. Takes it one step further. He says, listen, if somebody slaps you on the cheek, turn the other one to him also. I mean, you know how hard that is to do that? Let me just demonstrate, actually. Tony, if I could borrow you for a second here. Okay, thank you. All right. I'm, I'm, I'm sure I've done that enough already. But um, we, we will have a hard time if somebody were to come up and slap us. To say, oh, thank you. Let me give you the other cheek. No, we want to fight. We want to come back and say, what is that for, man? I'm, I'm going to make you pay now. This is a hard thing to do. But Jesus says, not only should you turn the other cheek, but now you should be willing to give up your jacket if somebody's trying to sue you for your shirt. You should be willing to say, you know what? Man, I'm not out here for my rights, for me to uphold my name. I'm here to surrender. My life now in Christ is about dying to self and living for him. And these are ways now that we begin to demonstrate a life that's been changed by Jesus and that is living for Jesus is in the way that we surrender. In fact, in this day, if a Roman soldier were to come up to you, and again, they're all living under Roman rule right now, right? These are the the authority. If a Roman soldier came up to you and tapped you on the shoulder by the spear, with a spear, you were required to carry his, his equipment for a mile. But that was it, just a mile. You didn't have to go any further than that. You could be counting, pacing out, going, oh man. And that Roman soldier's probably going, aha, you know, you sucker. You got to do this. You can't do anything about it. And I'm sure people were cursing them as they're going along. And as soon as that mile came up, they're like, that's it. I'm done. I don't need to do any more. Get away from me, you know. But Jesus says, you know what? I actually go another mile with them. Could you imagine what that would have been like? Because these Roman soldiers, I'm sure, were familiar with people walking them for that, that mile, that required obligation to do so. But then once that mile, they were like out of there. Could you imagine the response of a Roman soldier? Suddenly you go, hey, we're done a mile already? That was great, man. Let's keep going. Why don't you tell me about your day? How's your family been doing, man? All of a sudden the Romans are like, what is this? Who are you? What is this all about? They'd be like blown away. They would not see that kind of response, that sort of submission, that sort of love. And you see, what happens is as we begin to lay down our rights and surrender ourselves, is we get to live out a model, this wonderful life of Jesus, this life that he's given us, this life that is being lived for him. We get to have opportunities to share with people. We get to have opportunities to point people to Jesus because now they're suddenly seeing things that are like, this isn't normal. I don't, I don't see this kind of stuff lived out normally. This is, and we get to share Jesus with them. William Barclay said, Christians think not of their rights, but of their duties. Not of their privileges, but of their responsibilities. You see, we're children of the king. We're citizens of the kingdom. We, we have different duties now than we once had. We're no longer looking to live for our privileges, but we say, here's my role and my responsibility as a child of God. This is what I get to live out and 
and in joy now. And you see, it's in surrender for Jesus that we have much to gain ultimately. And Jesus is our ultimate example in this. Understand that because he laid down his own rights. He was mocked, he was slapped, he was beaten, scourged, he was nailed to a cross. He surrendered without retaliating. And you see, we get to reflect this incredible love and surrender of Jesus when we ourselves are laying down our rights before others. We get to model Jesus. In fact, I think we get to just display this wonderful life of Jesus in an incredible way when we live out these things. So Jesus points us back to this life of sincerity and truth, surrender. But now we look at the selflessness As he says now for the sixth time in verse 43, you've heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and bless those who curse you. Do good to those who hate you and pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. That, verse 45, that you may be sons of your father in heaven. For he makes the sun rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward have you? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet your brethren only, what do you do more than others? Do not even the tax collectors do so. Now, here's the thing. The Bible never really explicitly says anywhere to hate your enemies. This rather became an interpretation of some by Old Testament scripture. Scriptures found in Psalm 139, verse 19 and 22, if you're taking notes. Psalm 140, verse 9 to 11, where it said things like, you know, I hate those that hate God. So people took that as thinking, it's okay for me to hate these people. I mean, they're in opposition to God, whom I love. So naturally, it seems okay if I hate those people. It's kind of like this righteous indignation that people would have. So it became this interpretation. So Jesus is calling them out on that. Again, he's, he's not quoting from law here, but he's knowing their hearts. He's knowing what's really going on inside here. And so Jesus comes along now and he says, here's what I'm going to say to you. Don't hate your enemies. Love your enemies and seek to bless them. I mean, this was radical stuff for these people to be hearing because so many of the crowds that were around would have been thinking, oh no, I think we have every right. I mean, to hate this Roman oppression, you can hate them. Jews looked at Gentiles as just, you know, the, the wicked, the unsavable. In their mind, Gentiles existed only to fuel the fires of hell. That's how bad it was. And, and so they thought, Man, we're not wrong in hating these people. But Jesus says, I want you to love them. I want you to bless them. And this love that we're to show to others is not something we do according to our feelings or our emotions, right? If you're being led by your emotions, man, you're going to be led astray rather quickly. Love is something that we choose to do. It's a decision, a commitment we make. It is governed by our will and desire to obey God. And it's not something we do by our natural ability. It only comes about as those are, as people are born again and regenerated by the Spirit of God. Because God is love. And so if we're born again now, again, we're born into Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is love. These are things that begin to be lived out now beyond our natural propensity or ability to do so. And this becomes a, a supernatural thing that we so desperately need happening in our lives. And you know, a great way to increase in your love for others, even those that you may not like too much, is to pray for them. That's what Jesus says. Pray for them. 
Pray for those who use you. Spitefully use you and persecute you. Pray for them. And we're not talking about, you know, those imprecatory psalm type prayers, right? Where they're saying, Lord, break their teeth in their mouth, right? I'm not talking about those kinds of prayers. Some of you I know have probably prayed those towards those that you don't like too much, right? It's in the Bible, Lord. I mean, isn't that okay, right? No, no. Listen, we're not talking about those kinds of prayers. We're talking about prayers that are seeking to bless them for God to bless them. And here's the wonderful thing that happens is as you begin to pray for people in a loving, gracious way, you begin to develop the heart of God for them. Because God's heart is for them. In fact, Jesus spells that out there for us here in this passage because he says that God sends sun on the evil and on the good. He sends the rain on the just and on the unjust. God is not impartial. God's not holding back his blessing saying, I'm only going to bless those people. Now listen, we know that there is for sure a greater blessing to those that are walking in that obedience to the Lord. But God is being good and gracious and compassionate upon all people, not wanting any to perish. And so as we pray for them, we begin to develop God's heart and a heart of love and compassion for them. We begin to lift them up and say, God, would you save these people? Would you lead these people to you? Would you allow their lives just to be changed and, and brought into that closeness and, and, and intimacy with you as they encounter your love and your forgiveness and your salvation? We pray for them and suddenly we begin no longer to have those Feelings of resentment or anger or bitterness towards them. Suddenly we're praying for them, lifting them up to God. And we can't help but to say, God, you love them. And, oh my goodness, I'm starting to love them too. It's amazing. That's what we are called to do. Pray for our enemies. See, when we live this way, again, we show ourselves to be otherworldly. This is a love that is not common. And, and, Jesus says, it shows that we're sons of our Father in heaven when we do that. This is not, listen, these things are not the way that we become sons of our Father in heaven. Because again, that means that we're living by external means, trying to be righteous by what we do. Rather, when we put these things into practice, this is what shows ourselves to be children of God. This confirms the fact that God is at work in us, regenerating us, sanctifying us, causing us to be more like him. And when we live that way, we demonstrate that to a world that's going, we don't see this kind of thing happening around us. Living this kingdom way should cause us to stand out, to stand out and represent the king. We need to be different than the world. If we're just loving the lovable, how's that different from what anyone else does? I mean, Jesus points that out there at the at the end, because he says, even the tax collectors do that. The tax collectors were the despised, the lowlifes of society. But even they, Jesus says, are, are loving those that are around them or, or that are like them. We're not just loving the lovable. We're called to love all people. Jesus says, you will know, they will know that you're my disciples by your love. One to another, John thirteen thirty five. And here's what we need to be doing daily, my friends, is we need to be recognizing that we were the ones that were the unlovable. We were the ones that were in in rebellion to God, the enemies of God. We were the ones that were despised, looked down upon, that didn't deserve this love. And yet Jesus, in his grace, God, by his love towards us, came and saved us, came and loved us, 
came and demonstrated this heart of compassion towards us. We didn't deserve any of this. But yet that's exactly what we've received from the Lord. You might be wondering, why should I be loving that person? You need to be asking yourself, why would God love me? And yet he does. I'm amazed. I'm thankful. Lord, help me to love one another just as you have loved me. And then Jesus kind of drops the bomb here in verse 48. Last verse of our chapter here. Because he says in verse 48, Therefore you shall be perfect just as your Father in heaven is perfect. This could be probably the most important verse of the Sermon on the Mount. One that could give a lot of anxiety to people wondering, are you serious? You mean that I need to be perfect as God is perfect? Does he, does he see how weak I am, how much I fail, how much I mess up? Does he see that? How, how does he expect me to do that? We wrestle with this first. We think, what is the deal here? Now, it's true, listen, that, you, that if you want to be right with God by how you live, by upholding the law, then perfection is what's needed. And we're talking sinlessness here. Perfection. And guess what? There's only one person in the entire human race that has ever done that. It's Jesus. And that's kind of the point. Following the outward observance of the law isn't going to save you because the heart is always going to condemn you and reveal your guilt before God. You might think, look at how good I'm doing. I haven't broken this commandment. Adultery or murder. I haven't done all those things. But like Jesus points out here, yeah, but if you hate your brother, it's as though you commit a murder. If you look at a person lustfully, it's as though you commit adultery in your heart. The heart begins to condemn you and reveal to you your guilt. Suddenly you think, man, I'm doing really good today. But Jesus points out, you got to go deeper. And when you do, you realize, I'm guilty of these things. See, perfection doesn't come from our perfect adherence to the law. It comes through Jesus. I love what we read in Romans 8, verse 3 to 4. For what the law could not do in that it was weak to the flesh, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh. On account of sin, he condemned sin in the flesh that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. I love that, that the righteous requirement of the law cannot be fulfilled in us who are walking by the Spirit, who are in Christ and through Christ. It's not in and of ourselves. It's all by Jesus. See, that word perfect is the Greek word teleos. And William Barclay breaks this down so well. He says this, teleos is the adjective formed from the noun telos. Telos means an end, a purpose, an aim, a goal. A thing is telos if it, is, if it achieves the purpose for which it is planned. Human beings are perfect if they achieve the purpose for which they were created and sent into the world. So, what are we created for? We're created to be conformed into the image of Jesus Christ. Romans 8 verse 29. To be like Christ. And this isn't something that we just put on in a sense that by doing these things, it's something that happens from the inside out. That's why God is saying, I'm concerned about the heart. Once the heart gets right through Jesus, then outward actions are going to follow. And we reflect Jesus well when we uphold our word and speak with sincerity, when we surrender our rights to bless others, when we walk in selfless love towards others. We reflect Jesus It shows us being conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. 
That's the mark of the mature believer. That's where that word perfect can also be broken down as is, is to be maturing. We should be desiring to keep growing in Jesus, working out your salvation. Just like Philippians 1.6 says that he has begun a good work and you will be faithful to complete it. It's an ongoing work. Are you maturing? As you, are, are you growing? Are you seeking the Lord daily? Say, Jesus, keep doing that work of transformation in me. And I might be perfect. Growing, reaching that end goal, maturing in you. This is what Jesus is calling us to do. It starts from the heart. And when the heart gets right, the evidence of that is going to be seen and demonstrated in how we live as citizens of this kingdom. All right, let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for this time just to look at your word and to see this great sermon you preach and to break it down. Lord, I pray that, God, these would be things that we are, are not just being convicted of, but that, Lord, we're, we're being challenged in and, and growing in. Lord, thank you that you've done the work of salvation, of declaring us righteous. These things doesn't, don't come through our works and efforts. They come through faith in you. But, Lord, we pray that we'd keep growing into maturity, into perfection, being conformed to the image of Jesus Christ, being like you, let that be demonstrated, modeled in how we live here, Lord. But let that start from the heart. So God, do that work in us by your spirit. We need you. And we thank you for all you've done for us. We pray in your name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Listen, before we just end our service with a, just a song and respond to the Lord, uh, Gord's going to share quickly just um, a bit of a mission update. And we're going to pray for our missionaries. And then um, we'll... Just take some time and respond to the Lord in, in song. So worship team, you can come up and get yourselves ready. And then Gordon, come and just share with us about our, our missionaries here.